If you please turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, we're in chapter 8, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 532, we'll look at the entire chapter this evening, and this is one of my favorite chapters in all of the book of Proverbs, because this is, I think, where we get the clearest sight of Jesus. Jesus here is wisdom personified, that's what we're looking at, and as, as I read through this, and we hear about wisdom calling and, and wisdom personified as lady wisdom. This is Christ. This is, this is Jesus speaking to us. So as we're hearing wisdom, just think of Jesus. Every time wisdom is mentioned, think of Jesus as I, as I read through this. So Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and the perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. 
But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Let's pray. Lord, you speak to us in your word. Your word is wisdom. But your word all points to the word. The word made flesh. The word that came and dwelt among us. And Father, as we hear this word preached tonight, Father, I pray that we see him. I pray that he becomes more real to us. We love him more. Father, I pray that you will take my feeble words and that you will use them to magnify our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he may receive all the glory tonight. Father, I pray that you'll use this time to bless us. We need you. We need to hear from you. We need to be strengthened by you, not just words that I speak, not just words that we sing, Lord, we need you, and we need your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to hear that message. Father, we want to be changed. We want to leave here different. We want to leave here having had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. So what is wisdom? How does the book of Proverbs describe wisdom? Why does the book of Proverbs consider having wisdom and getting wisdom the most important thing that we can have? Well, we're told in wisdom that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom starts with God. It starts with the Lord. It starts with having a correct understanding with him. It starts with having a correct, a right relationship with him. And wisdom is described in the book of Proverbs is really having our thinking in alignment with God's thinking. Having wisdom is having God's perspective. Having wisdom is, allows us to, to make sense of this world that we live in. really allows us to thrive in God's world. So I want us to, to do a little bit of thought experiment when we start off looking at this. Consider that you were dropped in the middle of a city, a city you don't know. You don't have a GPS. You don't have a map. You don't know where you are. You don't know anyone in this city. All you could do is kind of simply walk around trying to get the, the lay of the land, trying to figure out where things are. Now, this is very time-consuming, and most likely you'll get lost. You may wind up in a dangerous neighborhood because you don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. You're, you're simply fumbling around. My friends, this is how many of us go through life. That's how we go through life, simply fumbling, simply trying to figure out what is the purpose, what is the goal, where am I going? Well, wisdom, wisdom is like getting a map to that city. But it's not just any map. It's a map, think of a map that is marked up by a good friend, a good friend who knows the city like the back of his hand. And this map tells us where to go, where we can get help, tells us where not to go, tells us how to get to different places. It tells us who we can trust, who we should stay away from. It gives us details on on how to to most enjoy the city, how to be most successful in this city. This is the role that wisdom plays for our life in this fallen world. And this is why having wisdom and gaining wisdom is so critical for us in this world. But all the wisdom that's taught in Proverbs, all the wisdom that's taught anywhere and scripture, all the thinking that's in alignment with God's thinking, all of this is found in Christ. Christ is wisdom personified. And we see Christ as, as the way, really the only way, that we can understand God himself. 
It's a way that we can understand God's world. It's a way that we can understand ourselves and our place in this world. You see, Christ is the essential piece. He is the essential piece to understand anything and everything. The last two verses of this chapter, verses 35 and 36, this sums up the entire chapter, really. Whoever finds me, that's wisdom for Christ, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, wisdom, Christ, injures himself. And all who hate me love death. See, this is the reality of our world. This is the spiritual reality. This is the ultimate reality. If we have Christ, we have life. If we have Christ, we have life. That's as simple as that. If we don't have Christ, we are spiritually dead. If we have Christ, we belong to God. We have his favor, but without Christ, without Christ, everything else we may have, including the whole world, ultimately is meaningless. Jesus' own words were, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And sadly, sadly, there are countless people, people that we know, people that we love, who are in this world this verse applies to. They have everything, humanly speaking, but they've lost their soul because they do not have Christ. And we're going to go quickly through this chapter. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, not, not by any chance. But we're going to see what this chapter tells us about wisdom, where wisdom is seeking us, where wisdom is needed. So verse 1. It says, wisdom raises her voice. So wisdom, she's not silent. She's not hard to find. She makes herself known. And Christ is not silent. Christ is not hard to find. Christ makes himself known. And if this wasn't the case, we could never know wisdom. We could never know Christ. See, there's a a misnomer that we see in the Christian world. And this misnomer is a thing that's called the the seeker-sensitive church. See, my friends, unbelievers, they are not seekers. There's really only one seeker, and that seeker is Christ. He has come to seek and save the lost. We don't seek God. We're we're spiritually dead. We must be made spiritually alive. And unless we are born again, we cannot even see the kingdom of God. That is Jesus' own words to Nicodemus. So Christ is the one who takes initiative. Christ is the one who must take the initiative. He seeks us when we really want nothing to do with him. And he finds us. We're spiritually dead. And he gives us life. He gives us spiritual life. Verse 2 says, She cries out on the heights beside the way. The height, this is where we gain vision. This is where we see things the way they really are. This is where we get the, the lay of the land. This is how we understand reality. I remember when I was a kid in New Jersey, my dad would take us to a place called Washington's Rock. And this was a mountain that during the Revolutionary War, General George Washington would come out and he could see for miles. You could actually see into New York City from from that rock. And he would be able to see the British, where the British troops were. He would be able to see where his uh, his troops were. This is where he was able to get the lay of the land. This is where he was able to see what was going on. So this is what I think about when I read about the heights beside the way. See, wisdom gives us that kind of perspective. Christ gives us this type of perspective. And this is the perspective that is, that is essential, essential for us to make sense of this fallen world. Verse 2, it says, at the crossroad she takes her stands. Well, the crossroad is the place of decision. 
Remember Hal's crossroad speech that he would give to anyone who was unfortunate enough to, to find himself in the back seat of Hal's police car? He'd say, son, you're at a crossroads. Remember the, the crossroads? And these crossroads, these are, these are places where we make life-altering decisions. Choices made at these crossroads, they not only affect us now, they don't only affect the rest of our lives, they affect our eternity. These are the crossroads. And at these crossroads, this is where we need wisdom. This is where we need godly wisdom. So it's so easy to go off path. It's so easy to make the wrong decisions. I mean, I think, I'm sure each of you, think of your lives when you were young, all the stupid things you did as a young person. I think of all the stupid things I've done. And thankfully, the Lord was keeping us. The Lord had a hand on us, but we need his wisdom. And Christ's wisdom helps us make these needed adjustments when we're at crossroads. Verse 5. Wisdom cries out to the simple ones to learn prudence and, to, and the fools to learn sense. If you remember from my first sermon I preached on Proverbs, I said that Proverbs speaks of three different types of people. There is the wise, there is the simple, and there are the fools. The simple. The simple are the empty ones. They, they can go either way. They, they need filling. They need to be filled with the right information, the right knowledge, because they, if, they, if they hit the wrong, they'll go the wrong way. Now, the fools, the fools that don't need this information, they reject this information. They reject wisdom. They don't specifically need information. They may, they may even know what the right thing is to do, but they don't like it. They don't want to do it. They hate the right thing. They want to do what is wrong. <clears throat> so simply giving a fool instruction, that won't help because he hates the instruction. The fool needs correction. He needs rebuke. <clears throat> but even this is part of it, only part of it. See, there are two things needed when dealing with a fool. The first is we need to restrain the fool. We need to restrain evil. We must prevent the fool from harming others through their wickedness. But this, this is really the chief purpose of, of what the government is, what the, what the civil magistrate is, to, to restrain evil. And this is also the purpose of God's holy law. It's to restrain evil. See, God's wisdom allows the fool to learn sense and to realize that, that it's really too costly to oppose God. It's going to cost too much, so he should seek wisdom. And while this restraint of evil protects those around the fool and is a benefit to, to the simple and the godly, it has no eternal benefit. No eternal benefit for the fool. For this, what they need is conversion. For, the, for, they, for this, they need wisdom personified in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this they need the gospel. For this they need to repent of their foolishness and by faith alone re- receive and embrace Christ, receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. This is the ultimate need of both the, the simple and the fool. And lastly, Proverbs speaks of the wise. The wise are the ones who belong to God, who for the most part live in accordance with God's wisdom and have uh, they're thinking in alignment with God's thinking. See, this is only the people who are Christians. Only the regenerate are wise. However, even the wise, even the wise, even the believer can struggle. Even the wise can stumble and, and, and can find their thinking shaped more by this world than by the Lord. See, the wise, too, need wisdom. They, they don't so much need knowledge and instruction, although they may need some of this as they need encouragement. They need a reminder of who God is and, 
and his call for their lives. And that's, that's what we need. As, as Christians, we need that encouragement. We need that encouragement daily because it is so easy. The world will overwhelm us and, and continue to tell us this is what's right. And it's 180 degrees from what God's word tells us. So we need this encouragement. We need to continue to come to God's word and shape our thinking by God's word. So each of these three types of people, the wise, the fool, and the simple, we all need wisdom. But this wisdom is applied differently to each type of person. Verse 6, here we see the content of the wisdom. It says she speaks of noble things. She speaks of what is right. Wisdom reflects God's perfect character. She'll also speak of what is good, what is just, what is honorable, what is true, what is excellent, what is noble. These are the things of God. If something is shady, it's underhanded, it's crude, if it's immoral, it is not in according to God, to God's wisdom. It's not according to Christ. And this is really a good litmus test for us. Uh, uh, Really to check the state of our hearts. What are the things that we most enjoy? What are the things that, that bring us pleasure, that bring us excitement? And are they things of God? Are they things that God loves or are they things that God despises? The things that God hates. See, even the most sanctified of us, even the most holy of us, is a mixture of all these. We have these things that we are attracted to that God hates. And we have to put those to death. Daily, we have to put those to death. Because there isn't anything underhand. There's nothing shady. There's nothing crude that belongs in Christ. And Paul himself struggled with this. Paul, the most sanctified person other than Christ probably ever lived, he struggled with this body of death. As he describes in Romans chapter 7. Listen to the struggle in Romans 7. Paul says, again, this is not speaking of Paul before he's converted. This is the converted Paul, probably further along in sanctification than anyone that we can know. Listen to the things he says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This describes us. I, I feel that all the time. This battle going on within us. And Paul describes this battle. It's a battle going on within in each believer. See, our inner being, our, our true man, despises our sin and, and earnestly desires to follow the Lord. But we have this, this raging war within us. Now the good news is, the good news is that this battle itself is a sign that we belong to the Lord. It's a sign that the Lord is working. That's the good news. The bad news is that we're going to fight this battle until the Lord takes us home. The rest of our lives, as long as we are in the flesh, we are going to fight this battle. We're going to to win some battles, but some we're going to fight until we're taken home. 
And then, then it will be gone completely. Praise God. Now the danger, the danger for us is when we stop fighting. The danger is when we make peace with our sin. The danger is when we tolerate our sin, when we enjoy our sin, when we indulge our sin. This is the type of heart. This is the type of heart that has no assurance. No assurance that it belongs to the Lord. Verse 8 says, all her words are righteous. Not just some of them. Everything that comes from Christ is righteous. There's nothing that is twisted. There's nothing that's crooked. Again, this is another test for godly wisdom. This is our goal. We want nothing that is twisted or crooked in us. It's not like voting for a presidential candidate. We, we, we frequently have to, to vote for the lesser of two evils. My friends, there is no evil in God. God's wisdom and Christ's character is perfect, and this is what we, this perfection is what we are to emulate. Verse 9 says, Wisdom's ways are straight to those who understand. This is talking about the person who is regenerate by the Holy Spirit. The person who is a new creation in Christ will love the ways of wisdom, will seek the ways of wisdom. So we may not always live it, but we will always want to live it. We will want to be free from this body of death, as, as Paul talked about in Romans 7, that, that keeps us from doing what we want to do and, and tempting us to do the very things we do not want to do. Now, the simple or the fool, the person who does not know God, who has, has never been united to Christ, really has no desire for this type of wisdom. Will have no desire to put to death this, things that are twisted or crooked. Again, this is a good test for us to see if we belong to Christ. Do we desire him? Do we desire what is good? Do we desire what is true? Do we desire what is noble, what is lovely, what is praiseworthy, what is excellent? Do we want these things? Do we want these things and do these things describe us? Verses 10 and 11. This speaks of the, the relative value of wisdom compared with silver, Gold, jewels, really compared to anything. It says nothing we can desire, nothing we can desire compared, can compare with having God's wisdom, having Christ. Nothing we can desire can compare to having Christ. Again, a, a self-diagnostic. What is the thing you desire most? Is it Christ or is it something lesser? He's all we need. He's all we should want. C.S. Lewis said that our desires are not too strong, but our desires are too weak. See, we're, we're too easily enamored by the things that cannot truly satisfy. In his essay, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that describes each one of us. We want lesser things when ultimate things are given to us, and we just we have no interest for them. Verses 14 and 16 through 16. Christ is wise counsel. Christ is sound wisdom. Christ has insight and strength. And we have these things when we are united to Christ by faith. It is by Christ that rulers reign and decree what is just. And this is something that unbelievers don't seem to understand. See, everything that's good, all things that are good, come from God. Even in those who do not know God, by common grace, they are given 
divine wisdom. They are given divine abilities. Now, this doesn't save them. It cannot save them. But these abilities are from God, and they reflect God's holy character. And when we see them, even in unbelievers, we can respect them. We can respect them because we're seeing a part of God because they're made in the image of God and the God's common grace coming through them. I think of King Saul in, in the Old Testament. He's a good example of this. Saul was not regenerate. He did not love God. He did not know God in a saving way. But nevertheless, he was the king of God's covenant people. And Saul was anointed, anointed with the Holy Spirit. That means that God had gifted Saul to do certain things that he could not naturally do. And he gave him the skills that Saul needed to lead God's people into battle. But it didn't save him. But it still came from God. That ability came from God. The same is really true of our current leaders. Few of our political leaders today know the Lord. I mean, to be honest, most of them do not know the Lord. And we are to pray for them. And and yes, we should pray for their salvation, pray for them to come to the Lord. But even if they remain unconverted, we still should pray for them. We should pray for them to lead by God's common grace and and, and wisdom and lead according to, to his law and his righteousness and his character. We're to pray for the restraint of evil and for the protection of the church so that we can freely proclaim the gospel. That's the, that's the purpose of government. Do you ever think about that? The purpose of the government is to protect the church so that we can proclaim the gospel. And even unconverted leaders, even unconverted leaders can protect the church and can provide us an, an environment where it can grow, where it can flourish. Lastly, let's look at verse 17. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. And at first, you might think that this verse is contradicting what I said earlier in, in verse 1, when I said that there's, there's no such thing as a seeker, that Christ is the only seeker. See, we by nature want nothing to do with him. This is because we are spiritually dead, and we must be spiritually quickened in order to desire Christ. But this does not change the fact that when we are spiritually quickened, when we are regenerate, we do, in fact, genuinely desire Christ. We do, in fact, diligently seek him. And this desire and this diligence, this is not the grounds of our finding him, but rather this is evidence that he has already chosen us to be his. So it is a misunderstanding about election. And the caricature is something like this, that there's one person who really wants to have nothing to do with God, and he's an elect, so, so God takes him kicking and screaming to heaven, while there's another person who, who fervently desires God, but God says, no, you are not elect. I will not let you depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. But notice the caricature. What election is is that God freely chooses those who he will regenerate. And when he regenerates us, then that changes our desires. Before regeneration, we have no desire for God. We don't want anything to do with him. We have no love for Christ. We have no understanding of sin. We we didn't know our helplessness before God, before regeneration. We saw no need for the gospel of grace. We said, that's fine. If if, if you weaker people need it, that's fine. But I'm okay. I don't need that. That's how we were before regeneration. But after regeneration... We love God. We hate our sin. We recognize our need for Christ. We recognize our helplessness apart from him. And we desire him every, every hour, every second, every nanosecond, as we frequently say. We need him every moment. And we see God's grace. We see it as, as the most beautiful thing and the most urgently needed thing. And we seek it above all else. And this is the person who loves Christ. 
This is the person who is loved by him. And this is the person who loves wisdom and the person who is loved by wisdom personified, again, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the person who diligently seeks wisdom. And this is the person, this is the only person who will actually find wisdom. So brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, this is you. And our charge, our charge is to recognize, celebrate, live in accordance with, praise, worship, and proclaim the excellencies of Christ to all and all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit that we so seldom seek the excellencies of Christ. We admit that we are like C.S. Lewis described. We are too easily amused. I admit I am too easily amused. And Father, I pray for each one of us, each one of us here. Father, give us that that single-minded desire, that that hope to, to seek Christ above all else, but be above wisdom, above, above money, silver, gold, to see Christ as more desirable than all of those things. Father, we pray that you will do that, and you will be glorified through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.